Welcome to the Action Research Podcast, somehow the first podcast dedicated solely to action research. Each episode, action research experts Adam and Joe explore facets of this research methodology. Speaking with experienced and emerging action researchers, they aim to contribute to this important and growing field and understand the nuance and process of action research in action. Thanks for tuning in. This is part two of this two-part episode where Adam, Joe, and our guest Alfredo explore the what and why of research in action. Dr. Alfredo Ortiz Aragon, an action researcher and associate professor in the PhD program at the Dreben School of Education at the University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, Texas, and co-author of Action Research, 5th edition with Ernie Stringer. In the last episode, part one, the conversation turned toward the ways theories bridge research and practice. Alfredo used his work in the Community Health and Wellbeing Project and the Breastfeeding Women Project to bring into focus the role of stakeholders in action research. Here's a highlight from Alfredo in the last episode. Whether or not you're bringing in a formal theoretical framework or not, we're treating people's experiences as a source of knowledge and evidence and trying to get them involved in doing so. That is only happening because I learned something about action research. In this episode, part two, Adam, Joe, and Alfredo pick up the conversation by reflecting on the place of writing and reading in their own projects. We jump back in here with Adam, who's reflecting on the audience of action research. Adam recently finished his dissertation and is thinking about his work outside of the context of PhD research. I find myself in a situation with my current project with um, the, the Cafe Origenes project, working with coffee producers, where pretty much everything that I'm doing, uh, there's an internal audience or it's the audience out in the field. And if I was a little bit more intentional about using research method or methodology, it could cater to a wider audience, which I think is important. I'm not gonna, at this point, I'm not getting there because I'm so engulfed in, in the action and what's going on in the field. So it, it, in, in that case, it's it's a case for incorporating more research processes, theory-driven or not, to reach all this these various audiences. And again, bringing it back to like, compared to other forms of research that's not action research, Seems I don't want to generalize too much, but largely you write research, you do research so that it can get published to the academic community, and it kind of stops, the buck stops there. So we're in a different world here, and um, yeah, that's kind of why we're having this conversation. So, so we hear this a lot, the, you know, the difference between publishing research but or versus having influence. And you know, through some of these examples, we can say that sharing any of this research on this podcast or or at the children's hospital or um, at an event is going to probably have more influence in some ways than than the, the traditional research ways of ways of doing things. However, um, there's research topics here that I think we need to theorize. If for nothing else to improve our own understanding of it when we present it in all these other spaces. So, for example, a topic that's come out of our project is how does storied, like storytell, story-based knowledge, how does storied um, data travel differently? Like if we can, if we can explain to people how the use of storytelling, but then with plus visual, 
emboldens community members and students and others to go out and talk about their experiences in places where they can influence people, if it, if it emboldens them to do that differently than just through other means, well, then that's worthwhile. Then we need to do more of that. We need to incorporate that into our curriculum and we need to incorporate or incorporate that into the way we do our action research. Uh, there's not enough of that explanation in the photo voice literature or or in these other you know kind of visual approaches. So that needs theorizing. That needs some someone sitting down and saying, no, I actually looked at this, check out our examples. But I've looked at this, you have to be able to say, hey, uh, Joe, Adam and others, you should go out and try doing it this way because it, it it's actually worthwhile. So that's not going to happen just by sharing it out in these practitioner spaces. And I'll give one uh, other kind of tie to that. We were presenting this. We, we just presented this um, project called Rewriting the Script that talks about this things, these things I'm talking about. We presented it at Tulane University in this big conference that got recorded. And I think it has a lot of influence because a lot of people watched it right after the event. A lady came to me who works at um, public health school. She's a she's academic, and she's like, "Hey, do you have any papers on this? Do you, do you, have you published this?" And I was like, "Not yet, but we have a bunch of presentations we can share. I need you to publish this because I need to be able to reference this to legitimate this way of working because this is what we're trying to do, and I need to show that this is not just creative work." And she knew it wasn't. I mean, she knew because the way we presented it had a deep theoretical base to it. But we haven't done the heavy lifting yet. That that is necessary, and it's not just to honor the academic gods and these these somewhat silly you know journal kind of ranking system. It's to help us do the heavy lifting ourselves of showing that we've done more work to to, to kind of give proof of concept and validate ways of working that are still not that well accepted in a lot of spaces. I, I think that's a great point and, and made me think about um, like research and the use of research when done for kind of the, the purposes of informing, of generating important knowledge, of sharing important information. Good research should inform you about things um, that you may wanna try or you may wanna avoid. Um, you know, there are a lot of initiatives that I think if some practitioners had done a little bit more background research would realize that they need to do their initiative a little bit differently, or they need to think about it differently, or they need to engage differently, or they may need to have a different process because people have tried it before and it may not have worked, or it, it did work in one way, but it didn't work in another way. Or this, you know, there was some problematic aspects of the impact of some of these things that they thought were going to work really well. If we're doing action research, the goal, the ultimate goal is to make sure people's lives are improved in some way, shape, or form according to their own values and according to their own needs and their own context. And theory is a way of thinking fundamentally. So if we develop a theory through research, we're changing the way we're thinking to change the way how we do action. So that's something that I think is important. And then another thing to point out, so we, um, which I think is also important, is the different kinds of knowledges that exist. And two, two basic ones, two basic umbrellas are kind of procedural knowledge, how to do something, or declarative knowledge, knowledge that, knowledge that something exists, knowledge that, uh, you know, knowledge of some kind of existence um, or effect. And research that develops theory or research that has findings that might be relevant to somebody else's study 
would hopefully generate both procedural knowledge. So how do I engage in this process in a good way or in a way that is um, working with the people? As well as if I do this in this way, what might be a, you know, what might be a few of the impacts of what I'm doing? And are they desirable or not? I want to touch back something you just said, Joe, um, about the the two types, you know, kind of two different ways of thinking about knowledge, right? kind of the uh, procedural and uh, declarative. And so, so many of the of the journals, they ask you to focus on declarative knowledge. Like, what did we learn? What are the outcomes? And what I, something I love about action research, and this is definitely the case of the action research journal where I was an associate editor for a long time. It's many years. I have, I've left a couple of years ago. It, in every single paper that gets delivered, sorry, that gets turned in, we a common feedback is, hey, this is great that you accomplished so much. Thank you for sharing the findings. Can you maybe publish the findings, the detailed version in some discipline-focused journal? And in this journal, just share a little bit about your findings and share more about how you got there. And the reason why is because we're not just trying to elevate and learn more about action research methodology, although that's a big part of it. Action research is trying to mimic a different way of being in the world, a way of being in the world that is more democratic, that tries to help people get involved in the challenges that they face, um, that gives power to everyday people and their experiences and doesn't put that at a lower level than scientific expert knowledge. So it, it, it we're trying to work in a different way, participation, et cetera. And because we're trying to actually change the way we are in the world by using action research, one of the biggest results we can share is how did we do that? How did participation play out? What worked, what didn't? What knowledge hierarchies did we encounter and overcome or fail, fail to be able to, to overcome? And so we're insistent on people telling the how they did the work because the how is the proof of whether or not we're actually creating that new way of being in the world, not just redoing research. And so, so I think that's important. And an example of that is honoring, and this is coming back to the idea of, of, uh, of research and action research, honoring knowledge from different sources, but what you said, multiple ways of knowing different knowledges. So the example of the breastfeeding women we had gone through a, a photo voice project that had produced some, some good stuff, you know, the, a lot of their pictures and some good, good narratives, but they and the broader action research team that included folks from also from the city of San Antonio and a few folks from here from my university, we all kind of got to a point where we said, you know, we don't really think the most important knowledge is coming out. Um, the women's voices is not clear enough or it's not in their voice enough. And this came, this is a conversation amongst all of us. And so we came to a conclusion, which was, we've got to do something to help get their knowledge out and elevate it as a source of expertise in a way that is not currently happening. And so what we ended up doing was we said, let's find something to complement the Photo Voice Project. Can we tell stories of what we're not saying, <laughs> of what we want to say that we don't feel is being heard? And that ended up in this zine project, the, you know, this is basically uh, a cartoon-based zine where... Um, some of the women created their own. We had a professional cartoonist also came in at a certain point. And now we have this beautiful 
30-page zine that tells a story of women's experience in a way that's very different from the slick pamphlets that you see in doctor's offices. And clinical-focused people are seeing this zine. They're like, oh, my gosh, can we get that in the clinic? Can, we, can you share how you did that? But what we're most proud of is that, you know, would we have edited it a little bit differently? Would we have brought in a little bit more frameworks here or or frameworks there or, or theory and maybe written a prologue and an epilogue? Maybe. We, 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 we had some of those debates. But at a certain point, we said, let's quit messing with it. It's in their voice. Let's publish it as is. And it is creating, uh, little by little, uh, a positive reaction in terms of like, oh, that's different. That's raw. That's pe people need to see that story. And so what we've done in the process, we being all of us, including the, the community participants, the community experts, we've said their grounded experience in their own words, with the help of some cartooning, is expert knowledge to be shared. It's not theorized. It's not in a journal. We'd like to also do those things, and we think that'll take it in a different direction of also being powerful. But we believe in knowledge democracy. And this, to some degree, is an example of honoring people's expert knowledge, but turning it into a form that other people can see the expertise in it. So what about the literature review? That's one that I, I, I don't want to always bring it back to this sort of like this concrete research idea of research, but it's a topic that we've discussed at length in the past. Alfredo, I know that you've got an opinion on it, especially, and both of you are um, dissertation advisors and chairs. You know, I, I was mentioning how during my dissertation, you know, you have to do a literature review. I did at least. Um, but in my, um, this, in my program, which was at the University of Louisville in the College of Education and Human Development, you know, it was hard to get away from the, the repetitive nature of how the, the literature review always circled back to filling a gap in research because that's what dissertation research is. You're creating new research. So the reason why you did a literature review was because you had to make kind of make sure that whatever you were passionate about and ready to research wasn't already done and that you were going to be contributing something new to that discussion, no matter how nuanced it is. Um, and I couldn't quite let that be my guiding light. It just didn't really work for me, my process, but the, because I, I knew that there was a problem that existed in, in, in the real world. I was experiencing it and that was enough for me to take it, make the case as to why it needed to be researched, even though there was a lot of really useful information out there to help me frame that that problem. Um, and certainly other researchers have, or action researchers or practitioners have experienced it, but it was never in the very specific context in which I was. So the really, even though it was challenging going through all that literature, that was what created the value for me was to help frame that wide body of information and context around the challenge that I was defining and the, ultimately was the purpose of my research. But the literature review is kind of like a little bit of an elephant in the room almost in this discussion. So um, I'm, I'm not going to either Joe or Alfredo, I was hoping one of you could come in and share your thoughts on how 
or the extent to which uh, lit literature, we don't have to call it liter liter literature review, but literature exists, the existing body of evidence that exists given a certain topic fits into action research. I've got a couple of things on that. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, I guess I would I would just start off by saying, and this is something I've I've grown to believe more and more as I've read and kind of grounded my work more in adult learning theory, um, including Freer and others, that our challenges are gaps in real life. They're not gaps in the literature, and we use the literature. We sometimes review the literature. We sometimes just use ideas. We sometimes generate theory through other means for use because it's a useful thing to do. But we start off by believing in the real life challenges and we can frame a lot by generating grounded theory, basically theory from experience first. That said, um, it, it's just, it's important to, to engage existing knowledge. So like, a lot of the community-based participatory research um, world, they, they need epidemiological data to be able to know what their starting point is and even to get people riled up about why they should do something. And so introducing both theory and data sets on, on, on what's going on in terms of specific health problems is important before you just work with people to try and improve their health. Like those things really go, go hand in hand. Um, there's a study uh, a few years ago in the Action Research Journal on trying to reduce wood smoke, the presence of wood smoke in Seattle or the Northwest somewhere, um, because it was giving kids asthma and just you know, hurting people's health. Well, they combined uh, using these little measurement tools. Kids literally went to their own homes and took measurements for X number of, of, uh, of evenings they were then able to scientifically measure the amount of wood smoke on different nights. And then the kids came out and created a photo voice exhibit to, to shame the city city hall or city council into doing something about it. But they had the data on the, on, on the, um, uh, on the presence of wood smoke to be able to, to back them up. Um, so I would just say, I kind of agree with the way Maxwell uh, qualitative research frames things. He, he says we shouldn't even call chapter two literature review because literature review is a tool to do something else, to frame your study. Uh, so should we review literature? Yeah, we should learn what, what is known about the topics that we're trying to address um, because it'll help us ask better questions and do things differently. I think to your project, Adam, a different project, not from your dissertation, but I remember you guys doing this these GIS studies of the cracks and well, just the different problems, structural problems in the area, in the old irrigation systems from, that are hundreds of years old or longer in, in your region in Southern Peru. And you brought in frameworks and ways of looking at that and then actual data. So I think I, I'm placing near data and literature in the same topic and the, sorry, in the same category, we need to use ideas from the outside and other perspectives to help enrich the way we see things and to ask questions that we're not asking. And uh, we don't do that enough. I mean, we, we're often too satisfied with just generating grounded studies. And I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. But I, I, I think literature is important for that reason. 
but it is at the service of the problems in the real world. It's not the other way around. It's not to try to satisfy some theory. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. And I have another example for the importance and the need for reviewing literature in some of these action research type processes. So um, one of the things that I experienced in working with teachers from rural communities is that often the teachers would identify various problems with what's going on in their, in their classrooms. When we do kind of action research oriented, grounded theory oriented stuff, most of the time the blame automatically goes to the students. As you know, the students are unable to read, the students are too wild, the students don't have any discipline, blah, 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 blah. The teachers who seem to control students, seem to have more controlled classrooms, are usually very strict and usually teach in a way that is very, what Freire would call a uh, banking model. But most of the teachers haven't read Freire, so that doesn't compute. They're solving a very specific problem, a very immediate problem, which is their classrooms are feeling out of control. They don't feel like they can engage in their lessons. If they stick to just reflecting on the immediate experiences of, you know, their schools in the rural Andes and this and the experiences of other teachers in the rural Andes, the model that becomes the grounded theory model is one of harsh discipline, banking model, and assuming that these children are unable to learn, which is literally what multiple teachers have told me about these students. In doing a literature review and working with these teachers on literature and research, they get exposed to theories like Ferry's theories about the banking model. They also get exposed to other research like the science of learning research that shows that all students are capable of learning, but if the curriculum, the content, the pedagogy are not aligned with the realities of the students, the students are learning about things that are happening in Lima with cars and tall buildings and families of four rather than families with grandparents and aunts and uncles sharing knowledge. They're learning a whole new cultural reality as well as trying to learn how to read, which creates a lot of uh, mental or cognitive load, what's called cognitive load, which makes it harder for students to learn because they're not learning from what they already know. They have to learn three different things, whereas students in Lima who have higher learning outcomes, for example, are only having to learn one thing, which is how to read, because they're already exposed to, they're already engaging with the context that they know. So instead of blaming the students, we can start to realize that there's a larger ecological issue with how students are being taught through this review of literature. Um, and that kind of sharing of knowledge, sharing of research, reviewing that kind of literature is what allows us to change paradigms and convince teachers that instead of thinking about how to be more strict, they can think about how do I more and more deeply and better contextualize the way in which I'm teaching to be more responsive to the students' reality so that the students themselves are more free to learn. And that only comes through this review of literature. So that's another way to, to think about the role of, like what Ortiz said, use the research, use the knowledge for different purposes and then reflect. So when they change, you know, when teachers do change their pedagogical styles and their curriculum, does it actually make an impact too? It's not like we're gonna take this as just, you know, worshiping this idea. But how does that work in their real lives? And that's the action research cycle. The, the challenge though becomes 
who has time to do that, right? Like, like it's, it's such a, you're either in your dissertation or you're in a privileged position where you're even required to spend time producing academic articles. And so you're, you're kind of required to go back and do literature reviews. Like, but being very practical, right? Like we want to expand this idea of action research to huge numbers of people that include practitioners, community members, et cetera. What, how realistic is it to think that a lot of those different groups are going to be engaging in literature review? And I've, I've seen some, uh, some teacher education stuff that's very structured that incorporates in reading groups and like they they find ways to bring in cool concepts. It's not that people don't want to read. It's just, it's well, well, the kind of literature review we're talking about is just something that most people don't have time for, or they don't have a practice. It's not in their, their it's not in their profession. Their professions don't require it. It's not something that they're used to thinking about. And so- Or there's, sorry, or there's no access to it. Or there's no access. So I think we need to ask the question, and I don't have a good answer, but I think we need to ask the question, if we as action researchers are really serious about the idea of expanding out the idea of who is a researcher and creating co-research, how do we incorporate in processes that bring in ideas from the literature uh, into those processes? How can we do it in a way that's actually possible? And, and how do we expand that practice? Or, or sorry, and or, to what extent do we need to have better conversations on roles? Uh, and I, by this, you know, this is very fraught, right? So like roles that, again, will relegate thinkers and doers, separate them and, and keep academics being the sole sources of, of, of doing some of the higher level, whatever, thinking work. That's not my goal in saying this. I'm just saying, really think through how do we, conceive of roles in an action research process in ways that allow people maximum opportunity to be thinkers and doers, producers of knowledge, and abstract theorizers to the extent that they're interested in doing so, and it's useful. Uh, and I think that's important, like the, think, the thought about, you know, division of labor. I mean, that's important. The division of labor allows for greater productivity, and it's an economic concept, but it's also a concept of uh collaboration like when we think about collaboration and we think about roles we can think about collaboration in terms of what is feasible for the whole community and also how do we think about the power dynamics within that collaboration so yeah i would make maybe a controversial statement which would be that there probably should be a couple of people who are doing that kind of reading and reviewing and sharing of knowledge from outside to better inform the creation of knowledge and the sharing of knowledge inside the community. Not as the arbiters of what is truth, but as the informers or the sharers of what other people have thought in other places and how does that work within the knowledge that is within the group. And so it's a, a paradigm shift in terms of where the power lies in terms of that knowledge and how that knowledge is shared. Uh, and it's a subtle but important difference between saying this study says this, so this is correct and you should do it versus, oh, I read this study and here's what they did and here's what they found. What do we think about that in our context? And sharing knowledge in that way as somebody who's been reading and doing the literature review. And, and I think that it's important in, in 
many communities, many working communities, many action research communities, practitioner communities, that there are people and, and there are teachers who do this and they share uh, their information as well. So we've talked about this uh, in different spaces, including with uh, like uh, Mary. I've talked to Mary Bride Miller about this a while back. Um, you know, should, ac should action researchers and academics provide a knowledge service where, where we come in and help to document more of local practitioner knowledge, community knowledge, as literally as a service. I mean, um, and again, I've, everything we're saying runs the risk of reproducing all the things that are wrong <laughs> in society. But um, but I think we need to talk about this because like, uh, you know, Lonnie Rowell, I think you guys know Lonnie, he's got the Social Publishers Foundation. He's really trying to make it easier to produce practitioner knowledge, you know, and, and it's important. It's, it's, it's a new service. This podcast, you know, is a way of, of, of helping to get things out differently. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, at the end of major events, hires a team of writers to, to go, they, they take the recordings and they work with the, with the presenters and they produce a book where they write the chapter, but you, you're the author. <laughs> um, and so there are services out there where, where, where people are doing this. So yeah, I think it's something we need to think more about. Um, but I also think we need to just produce more grounded knowledge in creative forms uh, and get that out there with less editing and, I don't know, create a zine culture or something within action research where we just produce and validate local knowledge where it is without overproducing it. Well, I think um, I think we're starting to come up on the end of this initial conversation. Um, I want to thank both of you. It was a really rich discussion. I think it's a really important discussion. And I hope that um, our audience took a lot away from it. Um, it feels like a discussion that needs to continue to happen, continue to discuss, to talk about. So just um, one thought is we, we've, we've spent, I, I have a worry, which is we've spent this whole time talking about what is research and action research. And a lot of listeners may include doctoral students. And I want to make sure that no one walks away reinforcing the idea that research is so important because it is, but they already believe that. And so, because they're in an academic program, they, they already believe that research is important and they already have in their mind what they think research is. And, you know, that changes over time. And, um, but I think we need to, to remind people, listeners, <laughs> Yes, research is important, but what is research? Research is working with people on the ground, hearing their stories, creating avenues for that, processing that, finding ways to turn that into creative visual form, uh, turn stories into evidence, um, spending time with people. Uh, all the things that in, are in our examples of what research is, practical problem solving, realizing that you're trying to improve our irrigation system but saying, you know what, some engineering knowledge would be useful. Like it, it it's it's a it, we're talking about research as something very different than what is normally research. And so I just encourage all the listeners to really think about everything that we said was research in action research. Really think about how different that is from dominant notions of research. So the 
the corollary to that is not just to understand that when we're talking about research, we are talking about being more systematic, elevating maybe our previous practitioner game to become more reflective, to process things more, to leave more of a trail of breadcrumbs, et cetera. But really it's about saying the research is in the real world. It's getting out there. It's spending time with people. It's having an agenda to try to change things in a specific field or the specific group of people or community. Break out of the idea that research is 10 interviews or that research is something that's very, you know, specific gathering, taking bits and pieces out of the world and saying that this is what it means. All of our examples are about being out there and trying to change things in the world. And that's what we mean by research. So I, I just want to make sure that those two things are, are clear and that people don't walk away saying, wow, they've really helped us to reinforce that research is so important at the expense of acting in the real world. Yeah. Well, definitely cheers to that. And I think that, okay, I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> Joe, do you, is that you cool with that? Yeah, that's a good mic drop moment there. All right, mic drop. Thanks so much for coming on, Ortiz. It's always a pleasure. Come back on again soon, all right? All right. Well, it was two years since last time, so I'll see you guys in two years. Get out of here. Well, <laughs> two years, no way. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. How have you found yourself in the world of action research? Want to be interviewed or share one of your projects? Engage in interactive dialogue with Joe, Adam, and other experts and listeners in the community on Twitter at the underscore ARPod or the Action Research Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on most major podcast distribution platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Action Research Podcast, created by Adam Stieglitz, Joe Levitan, Shika DeWalker, Corey Legasic, and Vanessa Gold.